Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome back to the Industrial Cybersecurity Pulse podcast. Happy to have you guys back with us today. Thank you for joining us. And I'm not going to lie to you, Tyler Wall, it's a very special day for us because we all growed up. We, we're mm. one year old. We are one year older, and it's a beautiful thing. Our podcast, uh, as of September 1st, has now been on the air for one year. So we have been one year. You have tolerated listening to Tyler and I talk to you about cybersecurity, um, which is pretty cool. We didn't know when we started this where it was going to go, how long it was going to go, if we were going to get in the audience. And it's been uh, it's been really fun. Uh, we appreciate you guys coming back for a year. Hopefully, you'll stick around for the second year. Uh, but yeah, it's been really fun. So uh, I don't know. Somebody sing happy birthday. I think Tyler should sing happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> and scene. Uh, but no, we're, we're excited about that. Uh, we also have a, a great guest today, which we always do. But uh, this time we've got Jeff Kramer, who is the EVP of Digital Transformation and Cybersecurity Advisory at Aprio. Jeff, really, really interesting guest. Um, he really comes at cybersecurity, both from a technical standpoint and a business standpoint, which made him great to talk to. So we'll have him coming up in a little while. Uh, but but first, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do but that and let you do your first. Thing. Yes, but first, before we get well, we have actually two things. But first, we're gonna answer the question. That's what I figured. It's why yes. I stopped talking. It's yes. like I'll just stop talking, and Tyler will ask me a question. Yes. So my question of the day. For you, I mean, we're we're entering the fall season. Um, what this isn't this is not a very open ended question at all. It's very targeted. Um, what are your thoughts on candy corn? I don't know if I want to delve into this. This is a controversial topic. It it's, is, you know, cancel culture out of control. <laughs> I don't know where this is going to put us, but I am. Wait for it. Pro candy corn. I am as well pro candy corn. All right. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I really do. And I know people think it's disgusting. And honestly, I fully understand why people think it's disgusting, but I like it. And my problem with candy corn, it's like movie popcorn for me. I guess the whole corn family uh, is I have no stop mechanism for candy corn. I will eat candy corn literally until I am like feel ill, physically mm. ill. So, yeah, I mean, I, the weird thing about candy corn is like there's no distinguishable flavor. It's just candy corn. The flavor is candy corn. It is. And I put it almost maybe this is also another hot topic uh, like circus peanuts almost like I like circus peanuts, you know, or like uh, peeps, you know, um, I kind of put it in that category where it's just like a controversial food, but I like it. It's not food, but, uh, yeah. you know, candy. Yeah. Um, I like all kinds of candy corn. I like the little pumpkins too. I mean, oh, the pumpkins are actually, I think, better than the candy corn. I think so. I think it all tastes the same. It probably yeah. just tastes the same. But um, yeah, no, I think candy corn is quite the delicious uh, I, fall themed food. I do too. And look, I got to mention because we're here and at some point we'll get to cybersecurity, I swear. Uh, it is fall and this is going to date this podcast a little bit, but I got to congratulate you. The NFL season kicked off last night. As we're recording this, and your Detroit Lions beat the Kansas City Chiefs, they did. Um, yeah, I mean, the I don't want to short sell my Lions, of course. There were a couple key players sitting out for the Chiefs. I mean, 
Travis Kelsey had a hyperextension in his knee, so he wasn't playing. But, I mean, they've been toting basically Patrick Mahomes as the second coming. So he can do no wrong, essentially. And, uh, I mean, he can. I mean, he had a pick six last night that was fantastic to watch, you know, just telling him to kind of just sit down. Um, it's If we're to compare, you know, current quarterbacks to previous, it feels like, I mean, a lot of people equate uh, Patrick Mahomes to Tom Brady, right? But in this case, you know what that means? That means Jared Goff is Eli Manning, all right? He is the bane of his existence, and I am here for it. <laughs> I kind of want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm gonna I'm gonna veer here. So one of the other things we want to talk about today uh, is we are approaching fast approaching October, and lots of good things happen in October. It is the season for candy corn, but it's also Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and we are we've mentioned it here on the pod before, but we are blowing it out this year for Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We're doing a lot of stuff on the site. Please, in October, if you're not already checking daily, come to icspulse.com. We are going to um, not only have all kinds of great content on the site, we'll have a special page on the site dedicated to Cybersecurity Awareness Month, where we talk about all sorts of things, but some of those key factors that we talk about during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, MFA, multi-factor authentication, uh, strong passwords, recognizing phishing, updating software. So that kind of content will be there. But we are also going to have a new, very special podcast series where we're going to be bringing back a lot of uh, uh, of your favorite guests from the first year of our podcast uh, and have them come on. And we're going to ask them, we're asking them all a subset of the same questions and we're getting very different answers, but we've got some great guests coming back. You know, Carlos Bonanno of Armis, Leslie Carhart of Dragos, Mike Nelson of CyberCX, Debbie Gordon of Cloud Range, Jose, uh, Jesus Molina of Waterfall, uh, Victor Atkins of 1898, Dina Busalaki of Velto. We got a ton of people coming back on for these, and it's going to be a short podcast series. We'll be dropping like two or three a week. Uh, it's going to be fun. So watch out for that once October hits. Uh, this podcast channel is going to get very, very busy. It will, and it'll be it'll be a chaotic month, but it'll be the best kind of chaos. And I think chaos and cybersecurity kind of go together pretty well. Peanut butter and jelly. Um I was going to try and think of some sort of controversial pairing. Well, some people don't like pineapple and pizza. Like pineapple and pizza, you know? It'll be quite a delicious treat. My son is a big pineapple and pizza fan. As he, he does like pineapple and sausage. It's a weird pizza, but he loves it. Mm, it is delicious. You know. But anyways, that's another podcast. That's discussion. right. Different strokes for different folks. Mm. Um, so today we do have we do have a guest. We actually will have a guest on this podcast. As I said, Jeff Kramer uh, of, of Aprio. Really interesting guy. Good conversation. The The thing I said earlier is very true about him, which is he does bring that business background along with the technical background. So we had a, a really good conversation with him uh, beginning and, and the, like the two big topics that we hit, although it was a wide ranging conversation, were the cloud and how to protect the cloud which is uh, is becoming more and more important as everything is moving to the cloud and people are touting the cloud as more secure. Um, but then he also has a really good insight because he's he's done this into how to cut through the marketing speak in cybersecurity. Um, and, and it's an important thing to do. Every cybersecurity company, uh, and a lot of you I'm sure listening work for these cybersecurity companies, have a great pitch for their product. Um, but really understanding what it all means is important. Figuring out the nuance. You know, I, I've said to Tyler before, 
when we go to trade shows, one of the things that I love doing at a trade show is walking the floor with a cybersecurity practitioner. We know something about cybersecurity, but we are humble content creators. Uh, so, you know, I'm not a cybersecurity expert by any means. So I love going to the booth with somebody who works, uh, you know, 100% of their time in cybersecurity. And then we listen to the booth, we have a conversation, we walk out, and then I can ask that person, okay, or say, here's what I heard. What did you hear? And that really helps me understand, like, what is this company really trying to do? What are they selling? What do they do well? What do they not do well? And Jeff had a lot to say about that topic. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to do with, you know, trying to read past the features. And part of that, too, is knowing what your company needs. I mean, you could see this nice, new, shiny object. We can compare it to the new iPhone that gets re released every year. There's always this new, shiny object. And you're like, oh, yes, I definitely need that. But then you gotta look into the features a little bit. Is it worth you picking up? Is it worth the price? Is there an alternative that is cheaper and will work better for your company and just cause uh, cost savings in the long run? And I also like what he had to say, too. Uh, before we uh, invite him in here, he's got a lot of great things to say about, you know, bolt-on versus integrated um, solutions and things of that nature. Yeah, building cybersecurity into the product from the ground mm -hmm. level. And that is, we've had that conversation with so many people on and off the podcast, but that is really where things need to go. It should not be an afterthought. We bought the product and now we need to secure it. It needs to be, be, to be built in. Yeah, Jeff has some really great insights on that. Uh, with that, Shall we bring in Jeff Kramer? I was looking for affirmation there and you're just yes. staring off. Yes, thank you. Now we're, now I'm ready with that uh, wonderful uh, bolt of encouragement. Uh, Jeff Kramer is the EVP of Digital Transformation and Cybersecurity Advisory at Aprio. He's been a business entrepreneur and a technology leader for more than 37 years with proven success in the areas of business development and strategic planning to drive the use of information technology to enable business to reach their customers, markets, and core objectives. Jeff's developed and executed programs for a wide range of clients, including modern startups, telecommunication service providers, software service companies, and global Fortune 500s. Also just an interesting dude. Began his career in the Marine Corps. Uh, so he takes kind of a department, like a defense uh, viewpoint of a lot of this stuff. He worked in a lot of different areas, telecom. Also, I was looking him up. He's a skilled technical diver. Did you know he was a skilled technical diver? Did not know that. He is a skilled technical diver and we never asked him about it. Anyway, all around cool guy, Jeff Kramer. Let's go ahead and bring him in now. Jeff Kramer, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be here. I'm super excited for this conversation. Really, really. I'm, ex I'm excited about it too, because this is the second time we've tried it. Full disclosure, yeah. my internet died the first time. So we're going to try this again and see if we can get through it today. Yeah. We, um, we, the question we, I was going to ask you last time, <laughs> Jeff, is we always like to start by finding out a little bit about the people we're talking to. So if you can kind of tell us about your career and how you ended up in the in the position you're in now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I, I kind of like to describe myself. I, I started as a application developer. So I did application development for about 10 years. Um, really everything from assembler mainframe code to 4GLPC stuff. Um, started doing security work in the Marine Corps in the late 80s. So I have a, a DOD bent to my security background. Um, uh, I really kind of was doing security before it was cool to do security stuff. Now it's really cool to be security people. Um, in the 90s, I spent a lot of time in uh, both manufacturing and, and global networking. So I did a lot of work in global networks, 
Uh, I do jokingly tell people, unlike Al Gore, I actually did help build some of the internet. Um, you know, it's just just the reality of the time we were in. You know, in in that pre two thousand time frame, it was all about core infrastructure and building out you know global networks and and doing those things. So a lot of really exciting stuff. Worked in Cisco manufacturing for a number of years. Uh, so kind of got behind the curtain on on uh, both manufacturing as well as you know uh, Cisco Cisco engineering. Um, uh, I then, you know, kind of pivoted a little bit, you know, I was, I was in the reseller space and, and doing a lot of work around professional services and reselling and, um, kind of pivoted to just boutique consulting, really. So starting in the two thousands, the shift was to really help organizations navigate, you know, back then we just called it generally technology. Now we generally call it digital, but just sort of navigating both that technology and what's happening and how it drives business outcomes, as well as how that is being impacted by cybersecurity and regulations and things like that. So 2001, uh, you know, we really kind of pivoted to a lot of compliance requirements that were coming out. Uh, you know, that 2000 to 2010, we had a you know, all the SOX came out, the PCI came out, all these compliance requirements came out. And our focus at the time was really helping large organizations that didn't have heavy regulatory requirements, but found themselves dealing with security. And it was a natural place for us to support clients because you really had to make business decisions. You had to kind of understand your business and your risk and then figure out how you're going to apply all those security things. That the second part of my my experiences in life, though, has been as a business owner. So I started my first company when I was 18, um, and I subsequently have had several companies throughout my life. Uh, the last set of companies we started in 2001 with a partner of mine, uh, Dr. Saris. He and I started a company, uh, grew that for about 13 years, and then merged it with another partner grew that till 2021. So about 21 years worth of time. And we merged that with Aprio, which is how I come to be the EVP of digital advisory at Aprio. And the mission is still the same. It's helping clients and companies understand how to navigate and figure out those business outcomes and hook that to the digital strategies and use all this technology that keeps coming at us every day in order to drive real real outcomes and helping them reach their their aspirations. So it's it's quite the journey. I I really think I was lucky because I was born at the end of mainframes and minis and when PCs took off, when the internet was really born and and got created. And my journey has always had me in the middle of whatever is leading. Um, technology, right? So, you know, you know, it's, it's been quite, it's, it's quite a journey. And my personality is I'm, I, I get bored real fast. So it, you know, it's a perfect person to be in the technology world because I really do. I just like, oh, I've done this for three weeks now. Let's learn something new. And so technology is, is the perfect uh, playground for that type of personality. So. Yeah. See, if you've, you've done a little bit of everything, I'm going to say, yeah. I love it when our guests give us a perfect segue. So obviously you've done consultancy work, but one word you mentioned about six times and that was business and business outcomes. Oh yeah. yeah. So we talk about this occasionally on the podcast, but when you're talking about cybersecurity and especially industrial cybersecurity, how important is it to take that business mindset into cybersecurity? 
Oh, I, I, I think it's critical. I, I think uh, a lot of people kind of give it, um, you know, lip service and they talk about it, you know, superficially. Oh, I got to line up your program to business. But but what we find and, and what I've experienced throughout my my whole career is one, first, you have to have a business conversation. You really do have to understand what that business is trying to accomplish, what its aspiration is, where what markets it in, how it's how it's really going to market with its products and services. You have to understand where it is in its in its life cycle because every company is at a different stage, right? And so all of those elements they they come into the formula. Um, and the best compliment we can have when we're engaging with a company and helping them navigate their cybersecurity strategy is usually in the beginning of the conversations where they're like, I've never had a technology person ask me so many business questions, right? That's the compliment I'm looking for, because that means we really are trying to understand their business. And the, there's there's two hurdles for security programs. Like one of them is the idea that you go get a framework and you do all those things and you know, you're secure, right? And the reality is that that's just not the way it works. And organizations and specifically executives are always asking themselves, where do we need to put our focus? What do we need to do first? And what do we need to do last? Like uh, sometimes I like to say, where do you spend your first dollar? Where do you spend your last dollar? You know, where are you getting diminishing returns? You can't answer that question unless you've hooked it to the unique risks to that organization based on their business and what they're doing, right? And so that becomes sort of a really critical component. And then the other challenge is sort of this tension between compliance and security, right? And I've done compliance for many companies, help them through that. It's kind of a uh, table stakes thing that you have to deal with. And it's still today as challenging as it has ever been. And, you know, sometimes people go like, well, we're compliant, so we're secure. And the argument generally is like, you you could be compliant, but not secure. Generally, if you're secure, you're most likely compliant, right? Um, and so it's really difficult because there's tension as organizations struggle to prioritize. There's tension for organizations to navigate these compliance frameworks, which in some cases, wow, hundreds and hundreds of things that you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, that's very, very difficult for people who don't live and breathe this stuff. And the same time, you've got this compliance component that is different or external. Um, it's segmented in the U.S., you know, so when we do like international privacy, you know, it's a little bit more foundational, but in the U.S. it's it's by market segment. So the answer is different depending if you're in healthcare or if you're in finance, right? So that really is it's a tension between this compliance driver, these frameworks, but you got to get above that and, and really understand what a business is doing and then build your program based on that. Like those risks are the drivers. And if you did that, as the security landscape shifts, because that's another important thing is security threats change. And as those threats are changing, if you're just checking some boxes on a compliance program, you're going to miss your risk. You're not going to reevaluate your risk. Um, and, you know, so you always want to kind of go back. It, it is sort of a, you know, the magic holy grail everybody is is searching for, uh, but it's, it's hard. It's it's not as easy as, as I think some people want it to be. And, you know, it's evident when we do we do assessments or we're doing strategy, you know, usually the message that we're building is for the board or for the owners, for the executive leadership. And that's a very 
very unique message and it's crafted for that type of executive. Um, and when we start to do the assessments, we usually, you know, work with the internal teams and, and often they have like, well, I've never talked to the business. It's like, how'd you build a security program if you don't talk to the business? Uh, and, and sometimes they're kept in a box, right? The CIO might be like, well, we really don't want you. Like, you just do the program, give it to me and I'll take Like, you're not going to be effective. You've got to break that, you know, that, that wall down and, and talk to the business and understand what they're doing. So you mentioned uh, briefly that we are kind of heading in definitely a new new direction within cybersecurity. And a lot of that is now we're offering a lot of as a service kind of products, yeah. right? So uh, as we're moving operations, or I'm sorry, uh, what are some of the security challenges created by uh, specifically infrastructure as a service and platforms as a service cloud solutions? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good topic, right? So, you know, if you think kind of like historical, and I'm, I'm a big person around like the history and how we got to where we're at and not just kind of like blindly following, you know, the, the herd of sheep, right? And if you think about it, like the traditional enterprises, you know, we had it, we had an application, we put on the server, we had a database server, it's in an environment, we had some firewalls, dot, 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 right? And, and you know, for, for decades, that's what we built. We built programs around that, that, that environment. And then we had this shift right to you know uh, very common uh, you know like oh we're cloud first and everything's got to go to the cloud and so you got this 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 event that was occurring of going to the cloud and sometimes i think security people which traditionally ended up being infrastructure focused maybe application from the attack point of view but that doesn't necessarily mean they were application architects that they were really um um proficient in understanding the elements of application and what has changed in the application development process. And so you go into this cloud environment and, you know, you, you said infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service, like we created all these, these taggings. And the reality is most people really would struggle to even tell you the difference between infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. Like the the software as a service is kind of an easy one to see, but that whole infrastructure versus platform, if you're not a like a developer or architect, you're like, you might not even really kind of get it, right? And so we went to this place where we did a lot of lift and shift. You know, basically you just put it in another data center. You know, for, for a while we were just putting stuff in data centers, right? You know, level three and and all these global data centers and then became cloud. And so we put it in those data centers, but it all kind of looked the same. And so everybody was kind of still surviving. And then you get to platform as a service. And that's where you know, like it's totally different conversation, right? It is talking to the essence of microservices and building container-based models and reimagining how you consume compute and storage and communications. And if I reimagine all that with platform as a service, then you know the, the elements are harder to see. Like it's easy to see the server with the software running virtual software, running a database or running a web inter interface or something. Like it's easy to see that and build the wall around that. But if you go to a place where your platform is a service and it's microservices and you're consuming, um, you know, compute and capabilities through APIs, like then where's the wall built, right? And so you you find security professionals who are trying to build the, the, the last program, not today's program. 
And there's a knowledge gap that exists there for those those individuals. And as you said, I, I was unique because I started as a developer and really understood application development, you know, literally to the binary level and have been able to maintain an understanding of architecture and design as we've progressed. And so I always think about first principles and I think that's a, you know, it's a little bit of a trip these everybody talks about first principles, but it, it really in essence is, is saying stop yourself, step away from what you're trying to accomplish, find the, the core essence of what you're trying to do and then re-engage to drive those outcomes. And that's occurred many, many times with information security and cybersecurity, whatever, whatever you want to call that. It's happened as the technology has leveled up, as we've gained new capabilities in that technology space. And so you're, you're correct. Navigating uh, infrastructure and platform as a service security programs is totally different. And, and I would argue that it really becomes a code level issue. Like I need to do security at the API level. Um, or at the messaging bus level. Like I need it to be baked in, not just bolted on. Old school security, bolted on, add a firewall, do some stuff around the edges, and I protect it. Well, a microservices, you know, messaging-based application, like you can't, they're nothing to bolt on. It's 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 all over the place, right? Um, IoT driven or OT driven solutions, like they're they're everywhere. Like it's everywhere. You can't you can't find the edge to find the edge. So you have to rethink what you're trying to accomplish, which is driving awareness and ability to find indications of compromise at the transaction level, at the API level, at the microservice level. That's really where ultimately you end up needing to go if you're in a true um, next generation platform. You're segueing fantastically to some of these <laughs> next questions here. And it's great. So uh, with these uh, cloud services, you know, a lot of them uh, tote better security, better business advantages. Uh, what are some of those advantages, but are, what are also some of the security challenges that can be created from a migration to the cloud? Yeah. So one of the big challenges we see, and I think it kind of like extends on on what I was previously saying, right? Um, it's the knowledge gap, right? So if if we if we engage in an environment, you know, for one of one of our customers or in their environment and they're they're on-prem and they want to go to cloud, there's a lot of moving parts going on there, right? You know, are they just lifting and shifting and trying to replicate? Are uh, are they re-engineering? Are they deploying new solutions, right? There's usually a catalyst that makes that happen. Um, and if it's just cost drivers, meaning like, oh, we have to go to the cloud because it's cheaper, then you you uh, you end up not achieving that outcome if you just lift and shift, right? You've got to you got to turn stuff off to get your cost savings, right? Um, you know, or or you reimagine the architecture because you want, you know, the elasticity of a new application to be able to scale up and scale down. So there's a, you have all of that momentum, right? It's not as simple as like, oh, we're moving to the cloud. And so now you're redefining roles. You're redefining responsibilities inside of organizations, as well as, uh, trying to deal with this rapid technological uh, reimagining. And so when I say you're redefining roles and responsibilities, um, you know, the old model, you know, there was network engineers, there were maybe security engineers, there were firewall engineers, there were server database engineers. Like, you know, you could see the, the pieces and they were by definition broken apart because the way we built. 
Well, when you go into this cloud environment, you could have people that have access to the network communications, the compute, the storage, the, the database functions. Um, if you're in platform as a service, you're consuming other capabilities. And so all of a sudden, it's like the playing field totally shifted. You know, it's a little bit of a fun house in that sense, because everything's moving around. All the people's roles and responsibilities get kind of intermixed. There's a whole new um, set of terms and, and language that goes with being in cloud. Uh, some of that's vendor specific, like Amazon and Microsoft have generally the same stuff. But of course, marketing departments can't say it's all the same stuff. So they rename everything. And so you have to learn like S3 buckets, you know, versus, you know, something in in, in um, Azure, right? You, you have like this, this, this like very disruptive language that comes with going to the cloud as well. And, you know, layered on with all that technology. And I, I that's one of the challenges here. One of the things we're seeing, um, and it's a talk track that I give to a lot of people, and is the ability for technology to iterate on itself and accelerate the next level of technology. So what I've seen over the last 36 years is every level of technology that we deploy helps us create the next level of technology and do it faster, better, cheaper. And, and so it's just continuing to scale up and scale up. So the rate of change today is order of magnitudes faster than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And so you're asking people to absorb that rate of change and 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 deal with all of this naming changes, vendor changes, infrastructure to cloud changes, uh, architecture for application changes, uh, new capabilities. Because one of the things you go get out of the cloud is new capabilities that are hard to get if you do it on-prem. Um, all of that stuff is swirling around um, and challenging. And and there's a there's a another hurdle that. Maybe it's a little nuanced, but you know, most most organizations have problems, and they they solve those problems by hiring a person, right? So the idea is like, I have an issue, so I'm going to go to the market. I'm going to hire a person that can help me solve that problem. And our philosophy and our argument has been for for a very long time now is you can no longer solve problems in today's space, digital space, with an individual. One person is not going to solve your problems. You have to embrace the dynamic nature of agile teams and bringing in resources as needed for skill sets to move you forward. And so that's at odds with traditional enterprise HR philosophies. Go hire a person to do this, right? And you know, when we show up, usually as we execute, I'm like, I, I'm not talking to you about my individuals because what we use on week one, two, 10, 50, 100, those are different. They change, they shift as we hit different stages or we have to tap in different capabilities, right? You have to be able to go to the uh, go to the market and find the the unique set of skills because no one person can know all this stuff. It's that's that's like it's just impossible. Um, 
ironically, you know, even the people doing all the AI stuff is, you know, it's all really exciting these days, right? But the breakout for people was to realize that, you know, one of the best research papers, and it's only like two months old, was a research paper that was focused on using AI to keep up with the changes in AI to figure out what next level of research we should do in AI. And so if that doesn't tell you how quickly this stuff goes and how much information it is, and that was just one discipline. I just said AI. I didn't even tap into, you know, all the other components of technology and digital today. So exactly. Oh, so much to unpack there. So make a couple of comments. Number one, <laughs> pull, pull the, any thread you want, pull any uh, thread you want. It's great. So uh, the idea of it can't just be one individual. Tyler and I have made a change recently. We used to call people working in cybersecurity, cybersecurity experts. Mm-hmm. And we had enough people go, don't just practitioner. Stop. Nobody's yeah, an expert. Stop. Nobody knows all this stuff. It's too nuanced. There's too many strands. Yes, so right. We've made that change. The marketing speak, we're going to get into the marketing speak. I'm excited about to talk about that a little, but I do have one more question about the cloud before we move on. Um, so as you mentioned, things are changing quickly. Are there any specific security certification standards that organizations should look for when they are evaluate, evaluating a cloud service provider? Mm. Well, I love that question. That's a great question, right? So um, if you're looking for people, uh, or if you're looking for partners, products, SaaS, or something like that, I think there's some nuances to the answer, right? So on the on the individual people side, um, we have fallen into a little bit of a trap as an industry um, because we have a shortage of resources, and, and that's kind of been a consistent one. Um, if you ask me, what do I look for in a security professional to add to our team? Um, I'm looking for breadth of knowledge. I'm looking for somebody who can can really understand how and why technology works, why software works, why communications work, why servers do what they do, architectures, those type of things, as a component of their knowledge, Um, and not just check the box on some certifications. Now, if you pull me up, I, I don't run around with all my certifications anymore, but I've had them all. Like, you know, back to, you know, uh, you know, Novell Engineering, Microsoft Engineering, uh, actually CCIE number 4651. I mean, I, I did CCIE work in for Cisco before there were books in the bookstore, um, you know, and, and I've had everyone since then. Right. And I, I jokingly, me and Dr. Sarah's talk about, well, we need a certification with a Z in it or something like that. We need we're, we're just looking for letters to fill out the alphabet. Right. Um, so there's not like one that I've ever felt like this was the anchor. I have high watermarks. Some certifications are more technical. Some are more focused on frameworks or governance and stuff. Um, there's been a lot of focus on framework driven certifications, like for, um, you know, you know, different industry recognized compliance requirements. Right. And so those were good. Um, you know, the payment card industry, PCI came out with some good focus prescriptive controls and so then the anchor training to that but i i think you're looking for an individual that has you know like any team member you're you're saying you know do you approach the world the right way that's part of the problem um do you uh have the foundational skills that i'm looking for uh so you can contribute and be successful and are you driven to continue to advance because if those things aren't right I don't care what search you have, it's it's not going to be success. And we've had, I mean, we've had people on on the team that have no search. 
who are incredible security engineers. You know, uh, there's a tendency in the uh, pen testing space to get some really, you know, wild individuals that require some unique management skills in order to keep them inside the inside the reservation, right? But at the same time, if you're going to, you know, be in a public company, you have to have uh, socks with an X compliance, you know, you know, you need to have a, a distinct set of skills around how to navigate, you know, governance and frameworks and those things. Um, and then I think organizationally, um, I, I've always felt that, you know, independent, you know, verification of somebody's compliance is, is the golden, the golden, you know, uh, outcome. Um, and, and I did for a long time, even before PCI came out, when we had the Visa credit card programs and all those other security programs that evolved into the payment card industry programs, have done you know hundreds, I don't know, maybe even thousands of companies that have credit cards in their environment. And the one thing I can tell you, without a doubt, hundred percent, I'm not a gambler. I'd put money on this one though. If you self-assess and attest to your compliance, you're not compliant. <laughs> If you have a third party come in and do a full assessment, you are going to be much closer to compliant, um, or at least at a moment in time, you'll probably be closer to compliant than if you do it yourself. There's a there's a challenge for organizations to kind of balance that out, but we have some good controls and we can recognize those things in the software as a service space, you know, the the SOC 2, the SOC with the C, um, you know, compliance program is a great way to feel like somebody independent has come in and looked at that organization. Because when I'm doing software as a service, the whole point of it is to get out of the business of doing that technology. And, you know, there's an assumption, well, that's all they're focused on. And so they're going to do a good job. And, uh, you know, if from the guy who can see behind the curtain often, yeah, that's a bad assumption, right? You, you really need to get some true verification and independence and you need to read the SOC report. You don't just say, oh, they've got one. Um, you need to read it and figure out what did they scope in it? What, what controls do they cover? What was the scope of it? So, you know, there's no easy answer to, you know, both certifications and compliance um, validation. Um, and it's ever evolving, right? And it really does change over time and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned all thing. of your various certifications you've had over the years and and the need to find people who are willing to learn and grow. I imagine it, working in cybersecurity is not so different than the medical profession in that if you graduated med school in 1986 or 96 or 2006 or 2016 and go, I'm oh, yeah. done, I don't need to learn anything else, you're you out of the medical on, profession in two years. Yeah, that's right. Well, you go on vacation for a month and you'll uh, you'll <laughs> be in trouble in technology, right? Um, it, it 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 does depend what you're focused on, right? Uh, so if you're if you live in the compliance world and maybe you're you know internal resource that's helping organizations maintain their compliance and those things, um, you know you're really interested in staying up to date on changes to whatever. Uh, regulatory or commercial agreement and framework that you're supposed to be mapping to. So yeah, you need to stay up to date. If you're on the other end of the spectrum, though, in security operations, uh, uh, daily, you know, you you have to have your like you have to put your thumb on the market and understand like what's happening, what the trends are, what's happening this today, um, and you know, you're you're 24 seven ingesting information in order to stay sharp and the most relevant you can be, right? Um, and so, yeah, it really kind of like, it's, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it, there's a spectrum of it in any job or any area in the industry, there's a spectrum. Um, I think the problem or the challenge for security 
is I'm not looking for people who just know security. I need people to understand as we started this conversation, what it means to a business and, and, and how to make decisions, how to prioritize and how to deploy. And uh, I've always said my whole life, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, 20% computers, 80% people. Like it's the people that we really have to engage with and be successful and help uh, reach their outcomes. Right. And, uh, and I'm not talking about like, Oh, you know, uh, awareness training for, uh, you know, a program or something like that. There's some things I think as an industry, we've played whack-a-mole for a really long time and never created any results. Um, and so, but I'm talking about like how to help people understand a complex title. So those are soft skills, how, how all of this stuff works, uh, which is a really full-time job, just keeping up with the changes in the technology that you're basically either protecting or engaging with in order to drive those outcomes. Uh, so it's it's challenging, yeah. So we're gonna be shifting gears here over to the marketing side of this. I'm gonna just start this with kind of a, almost like an anecdote. Uh, Gary and I have been to many a trade shows now. Um, and at these trade shows, uh, and it's not even limited to cybersecurity solutions, but everybody totes that they have the next big thing. And the joke oh, is yeah. they all have the same thing. Um, so can you discuss yeah. some of the challenges um, with reading through this marketing noise and identifying actual authentic cybersecurity solutions? Mm, yeah, so it's very hard. And and you didn't use the word, you didn't use the AI initials in there, but you know, everybody walks on the door now with like our AI enabled, you know, um, lemon squeezer is better than, and it's going to solve all your problems. And Anybody who's who's done this for more than you know two months knows that like every vendor walks in saying, I'm solving all your problems. Here's my magic silver bullet that can kind of like do this and and solve every problem. Um and and it is challenging. Um I have a leg up um because you know we we've been engaged in the data science space for um quite a number of years now, like commercially developing and deploying data science skills. <laughs> so I kind of warn vendors when they get on the phone with me, I, I literally will tell them, if you tell me you have AI, you need to be prepared to back it up. And I am going to, I'm going to really pressure you to describe what that means. And don't show up with the sales deck because I will, I'll eat your lunch, right? Because I know how that stuff works. I know how machine learning models work. I understand that. Um, we've built those solutions. Uh, I'm at an advantage over everybody else, though, or people who don't have that skill set. And that's sort of one of the biggest challenges here is both navigating the fluffy nature of this technology. Back to my point, if you don't understand how this stuff works, then you're going to be just taking the word of your salesperson. Um, what could possibly go wrong with that, right? Um, and And I also think that you have to kind of be clear on the requirements and the outcomes you're trying to drive. Now, this is fundamentals though, right? This is stuff that is, you know, anybody who's done, you know, product evaluations uh, in a mature structured format recognizes understanding the outcomes that you're trying to achieve is the number one thing you do. So often um, what's happening is, the vendors are selling to the people who are driving a decision um, or it's bottom up, meaning like, hey, I, you know, you're 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 a technical person. I'm going to come bottom up with my my widget. 
And the organization never really stops and, and, and defines what success looks like and what outcomes they need to achieve. That, that's not, I'm not, that's not a study from Harvard. That's just common sense that many companies don't put the time and energy into. And so then they're evaluating the market and I've sold products. I mean, I've hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, I've, I've been in that game and, you know, simple rules, like the last person that talks usually wins. Um, you know, if you can define the requirements, you usually win. Um, you never highlight your negatives. You just, you know, work around strengths that highlight theirs. Um, you know, if you're selling a product, what do you do every day? Every day you wake up to figure out how to hone that message to pierce that organizational wall to sell your product. And, and, and the rules are fuzzy at best on what the ethics are around some of the things that people do and how they do it, right? And, and don't forget, Silicon Valley has endorsed the idea of, you know, fake it till you make it, right? Just sell them the message and we'll, behind the curtain, do something to make that stuff work, right? And so there's a lot of pressure um, to get it right. And there's a lot of people working against you to get you to just buy their thing. Um, I, I have a lot of conversations with, you know, CEOs and CFOs and people like that. And uh, I was I was just doing a, a fireside chat with a, a really well-respected CFO um, just a few weeks ago. And one of the things that he said, and I, I just love this insight, which is, you know, AI is the new black hole of finance because everybody's going to show up with their AI enabled initiative, dot, 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 and, you know, want their money and spend the money. And we're going to see all of this stuff deployed. And you're going to go back to those organizations six, 12, 18 months later, two years, three years, four years later, and go, what is different? Nothing. Nothing. Because they didn't know what they wanted. They didn't know what outcome they wanted. They didn't understand that starting point of requirements definition, let alone navigating the what AI do I buy or, or what technology I buy. And it's rampant. Now, I, I don't think you can do security operations without um, this technology, though, right? I mean, I, I, I'm a firm believer that most organizations can't even see the threat. And even if they are collecting enough telemetry, they aren't leveraging modern next generation AI and data lake technology in order to interrogate that information to look for indications of compromise to then action a response, you know, to drive an investigation and if necessary, an actual full incident response cycle. So, you know, I, I, I'm a believer that you need to use the technology and you can't do it without machine learning models, right? You can't. It's just humanly impossible. There's still watch lists. There's still stuff that we go like, hey, these are on the known bad IP addresses on the internet. Counter threat intelligence needs to feed that. But if you're not leveraging the next generation of technology correctly, then you're not going to be successful. So the real challenge is, is kind of trying to pierce the veil of, of marketing for these firms and figure out how to evaluate um, these solutions so that you can um, really make a good informed decision and then increase your knowledge of the technology that you're talking about, of machine learning, of data science, of, you know, cloud computing and, and you know, um, next generation models and stuff like that. Like you, you can, you can hold vendors accountable. You can, you can ask tough questions and make them answer it. And that's your point in time when you're, when you're being courted to get a purchase that's your time to ask all the questions you want and evaluate um, 
you know, those products and not just take the salesperson's word. All right. My last question for you here uh, is kind of raising a situation. So it kind of ties all of this in a little pretty bow. Um, so we've talked a little bit about non-technical stakeholders uh, specifically, including, I guess, like uh, C-suite, you know, it's, uh, yeah. they don't necessarily understand what happens on this ground level per se, because they're, I mean, they're the big uh, decision makers. They're the, the, they're the more business side of it um, without that technical understanding. Um, so let's say one of them brings a cybersecurity solution to you or uh, whoever and says, hey, this is what I want to use because they're reading that marketing talk and they're like, hey, this this sounds like a great solution. How do you communicate with those stakeholders and describe the true efficacy of a cybersecurity solution versus the marketing features? Um, so I, I, I'm always going to fall back to having clear requirements defined, right? Not, not features that were given to the organization by the vendor, but like, okay, what is the definition of success? What is the outcomes that we need to see and, and have clarity on those outcomes. Right. And, um, you know, if you do that correctly, then you can answer question number two, which is what's the priorities? How do you prioritize those outcomes so that you can say, these are the things that are critical and most important to us and work your way down through a list of requirements. Then you go back to those vendors and you, you are the person that controls the music. You're the organizational um, stakeholder that sets the tone of the requirements, right? If you don't know what you're looking for, or understand that market space, then you're at the mercy of the car dealer selling you a good car. Like, you know, when I was young, you know, and bought like used cars, I had a, um, one of my friend's father was a mechanic. And anytime there was a car purchase involved, it was like, take the car to the mechanic and ask them because they were the professionals. I didn't know nothing about cars. Their opinion mattered. So if you don't have those skills, recognize you don't have those skills. And make sure you're finding somebody to help you on that journey. Um, you know, I, I I like I like a good movie, and you know, there's been some great movies about people doing K2 and you know these big you know expeditions to the summit of these big mountains. I don't see any of them uh, where it's just some person that comes in and says, "I'm going to climb to the top of Mount Everest." Like they go hire a professional guide. They hire people who've done it way more than they've done it with expertise and equipment and process. And that's how they get safely up there. And even then sometimes it doesn't work. Right. Um, you know, so, you know, I think you got to know your limitations and you got to, you got to go to fundamentals, always first principles, what success look like? How do we define that? How do you prioritize it? We always, always, always talking about, um, in our execution, we're always about like prioritization, 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 uh, and not just like high, medium, low. I mean, I want number one, two, three. I want a force ranking of prioritization that's coming from the business. That then becomes the, the measuring stick for success, right? Then you can clearly say, okay, that's the important things that should produce this outcome. That's what we measure. So when you do go down that path and say, okay, I, fit, I found the vendor that I believe is going to do the stuff. We've done our due diligence. We're hiring the vendor. Make that vendor accountable to deliver those outcomes. Don't let them just sell you something that you stand up and then you don't get your outcomes. And then you wonder why 
there's a big security incident. And the, the, the worst thing I like to hear is I'm in a security incident and the executives around the table are like, uh, how could this have happened? We spent so much money on security. That, that means there was a fundamental failure in that program uh, if the executives kind of feel that way. Makes sense. So Tyler said he was asked his last question. I'm going to ask one more and then, and then we'll let it. you go. I, um, I love it. I, I can do this all day. So, so we tell us too, we're already have been thinking like, we got to have Jeff back on. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked a lot about business. We've talked a lot about cutting through the marketing talk. What is one thing? I'm going to ask you a global question here. What is one thing you wish more organizations knew about industrial cybersecurity? What is the one thing you'd want to evangelize to, to people if you if you if we could give you a soapbox today, which we're giving you? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna die on the hill of having clear business outcomes. Um, I, I'm not gonna run up that hill and say I want you to understand you know, XDR, VDR, MDR, XXX, you know, acronym. Um, I don't want you to have to understand, you know, governance and processes and like, because those are things that somebody should be able to help you execute. When I'm talking to executives, I'm like, where do you need this thing to go? What is, do you have a clear vision of your business strategy? And can you communicate that to us? And then we will then build a program that, enables you to reach those outcomes. And, and I'll give you some examples, right? So like, here's examples, like build security program, Jeff. Um, I'm talking to a company at, at the executive level. Um, they do acquisitions and divestitures, right? They, they like buy them. And then if they're not meeting their expectations, they get rid of them, right? And so if you don't understand that as a core business philosophy, then you try to integrate everything. You try to create one system that rules them all. You try to create all that stuff. And then when they go split it apart, because they said that one didn't meet our expectations and we're going to get rid of it, then you're in the middle of the guts of your system and you're ripping these things apart and it doesn't work, right? That's a, that's a good example of a business driver that has a huge impact on your cybersecurity strategy. So if you don't understand the business stuff, how could you possibly build the security strategy to uh, support that, right? Or, you know, we have technology that's part of our delivery, but, you know, we really see that market kind of dying. So we're, we're maintaining it. We're going we're gonna to keep the lights on for it, but we're not necessarily going to do big investments in that, right? And, you know, you got security people just running around because they're like, oh, that needs to be better. We need to do X, Y, Z. We need to fix that. We need to like, and the executives are like, yeah, we don't know. We're not, no, because it's going away. We, we think that whole space, there's a contract expiring in eight months and we don't think there's really going to be much after that. And so I'm not going to spend a bunch of money. Like, like, again, business drives the security program, not security drives the business program, right? Um, so that's the hill I die on. I like it, Jeff. Uh, fantastic conversation. Uh, we could seriously talk to you all day, but we have to at some point accept the fact that you have a day job and probably have other <laughs> things to do. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to yeah. us. Some really, really good information there. Thanks. No, I love it. And anytime you guys want to have conversations, you just you know how to reach me. Um, I think part of the challenge for this whole industry is having some frank conversations around what what's making it tick and why are we where we are at um because if you don't understand that then you can't understand where we're going right and so you're not going to be successful so mm -hmm. uh, i appreciate the opportunity love talking to both of you and uh, look forward to uh, more conversations in the future 
And there it is, our fantastic conversation with Jeff Kramer of Aprio. Uh, you know, one of the things I definitely like about him is his, uh, he talked about it a lot, was his business approach um, to cybersecurity. And what is so great about him too is he has both that technical understanding of cybersecurity and that business mindset, meaning he is like one of the rare individuals um, that can work with those technicians uh, more on like a ground level and also communicate with your with your uh, non-technical stakeholders, your uh, C-suite, and almost act as a form of a communicator for that reason. I know he's done some of that in the past with some of his consulting work, but I think that's just it puts them in a very unique situation that not a lot of people can say they're in. Yeah, that idea of, it was like we don't talk about the importance of making the business case for cybersecurity on this mm -hmm. podcast all the time. We do, but he had an interesting take on it. I can't remember if it was during the podcast or if it was a conversation we had after we stopped recording, but he uh, he talked about you know the, the cybersecurity, industrial cybersecurity, 20% technology, 80% people. <laughs> and it's I mean, that's probably true. You talk about, any aspect of it, whether you're convincing an organization that they that for the need for cybersecurity, whether you're dealing with social engineering attacks, uh, there's a lot of humanity in there. Mm -hmm. There's there are machines and there's technology and there's firewalls and SaaS and all that stuff in there too. But um, don't forget the human element of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that, that he talked about that that really spoke to me is, and this is why we wanted to have a conversation with him about marketing, is look. We love marketing over here, uh, but it's seeing through the pitch into what this product really does, how it can help me doing that kind of risk assessment of, do I need this? And how, how is it going to help me is really valuable. Yeah. I also like what he was saying too, about when you're like evaluating a product, not to just like read the shiny descriptions for it, but like, think about it from what you need from a business perspective, right? Rather than just being attracted to it because it's the new thing think, okay, so I need this for my business. How does this, how, what, what product would best fit that with their actual feature set rather than, you know, just kind of taking things for their, these companies for their word uh, and solutions providers, just, uh, it's just, it provides an opportunity for you to save some money, I'm sure on some level, but also make sure you're getting the right fit for what you need. Exactly. Yeah. Now, how are you, how are you going to solve your problems if you don't know what your problems are? How are you going to get solutions if you don't know what you need? Exactly. I feel like I'm writing a bad, bad, bad rock song. We'll get there. <laughs> you and I are going to write something and then you can make the music and then people will have to hear my singing voice. With that, <laughs> let's wrap this one up. Uh, thanks as always for listening to us. Uh, join us on the podcast every other Tuesday. You can also uh, see our work, hear our work, watch our work, read our work at industrialcybersecuritypulse.com. Uh, if you don't feel like typing a lot, you can also just type icspulse.com. Um, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, uh, if you want to hear Tyler singing voice again, mm -hmm. you can reach us. I am Gary Cohen. I am at G-C-O-H-E-N at cfemedia.com. And I am T-Wall at cfemedia.com. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for tuning in again this week and uh, we'll catch you in the next one.